Chapter Twenty Three, Sections Three and Four of J. B. Beery's The Student's Roman Empire, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. The Student's Roman Empire, Part Two, by John Bunyel Beery. Chapter Twenty Three. Nerva and Trajan, and the conquest of Dacia, 96 to 117 A.D., sections 3 and 4. Section 3. First Dacian War, 101-102 A.D. In making war against the Dacian king Decebalus, Trajan had no thought of extending the limits of the empire. Its natural border, in that quarter, was the Danube, just as its natural border in the east was Euphrates. His object was to prevent the consolidation of a great rival power on the Roman frontier, by reducing the Dacian state to a position of dependence on Rome, somewhat like that of Armenia. Formerly, indeed, Domitian had been acknowledged overlord by Decebalus when he set the diadem on the brow of Diages. But the gifts which he had consented to send to the Dacian king at certain times, were too much like a tribute, and seemed dishonorable to the mistress of the world. Trajan was determined to ward down the proud, and teach the Dacian his place. On the 25th of March of 101 AD, sacrifices were offered at Rome for the success of Trajan's expedition, and perhaps on that very day, certainly soon after, he set out from the city for the Danube. Besides the eight legions stated in the Illyric provinces, three in Pannonia and five in Messia, the emperor brought the twenty-first Rapax from Lower Germany to take part in the war. It has been supposed that the forces which he led into Dacia amounted to about sixty thousand men. The German and Mauritanian cavalry, the latter led by Lucius Quietus, played a conspicuous part in the campaign. Tiberius Claudius Livianus, the Praetorian prefect, and Liberius Maximus, governor of Mysia, were the most prominent among the officers, but Trajan directed all the operations himself. The future emperor, Hadrian, who had married Trajan's niece, Julia Sabina, was among the imperial comites. The object of the invading army was Sarmizegetusa, the chief city of Dacia. It seems probable that the Cebalus first made this place the capital, and that previously Porolissum, in the northwest of the country, held that position. The policy of Beribistus had tended rather towards the west, whereas that of the Cebalus looked southwards. It is possible that the complete occupation of Pannonia by the Romans may have had something to do with this shifting in Dacia. The choice of the Cebalus was a happy one. Sarmizegetusa, now called Varheli by the Hungarians, Gredistie by the Slavs, is easy to get at from other parts of the land, and at the same time easy to defend. It is connected with the northern regions of the river Marissus, Maris, by the Strigi Valley, while westward the pass of the Iron Gate leads to the valleys of a river, whose ancient name is unknown, but which is now called the Bistra, and of the Tibiscus, Thames. 
The plains of the lower Danube can be reached either through the Vulcan Pass or by the defile of the Red Tower. Thus, three routes were open to Trajan. 1. He might cross the Danube at Viminacian, opposite to which, on the left bank, was the Dacian fortress of Lederata. From Lederata, a road led northwards across the Bersava to the valley of the Tibiscus, ascended this valley, and then, turning eastward, led up the valley of its tributary to the Bistra, and so reached the Iron Gate. 2. Lower down the river, the Roman fort of Saliatis was confronted by Tierna on the Dacian bank, from which a road led past Admedium, Mehadia, to the confluence of the Thames and the Bistra. 3. A third road led from Drobete, opposite to Egeta, near the modern Turnus Severin, and proceeded by the valley of Diolutus and by the pass of the Red Tower. The first of these routes was chosen by Trajan. Viminacium, Castolets, had two evident advantages as a starting point. Being equally distant from Pannonia and Mysia, it was a convenient centre for gathering the troops together, and its strong fortifications made it a good base in the rear of the advancing army. It was also nearer Italy than the other possible starting points. Transport vessels were actively engaged in bringing corn, wine, vinegar, and other provisions to the place of assembling. The boats coming from Mysia had to pass through the iron gate of the Danube. Here the river, close to Sova, is enclosed between two walls of rock rising directly from the water and of immense height. In the narrowest part, where the stream can hardly win its passage, there is an inscription of Trajan cut in the rock and recording how he made a path on the side of the steep mountain of stone. This path was for the purpose of towing the boats of provisions. At Viminacium, then a bridge of boats was thrown across the Danube for the transit of the army, and on the other side Trajan performed the due sacrifices. Their march lay by Bersovia, on the river now called Bersava, and Axis on a more northerly river. As the Romans approached the Tibiscus, an embassy arrived from the Buri, a Suevian tribe who dwelt north of the Jaziges, in the neighborhood of the Quadi. Their errand, which, it is said, was in some manner inscribed on an enormous mushroom, was to counsel the emperor to abandon his project and make peace with the Dacians. This incident can hardly be regarded as anything but a piece of insolence. The Buri fought in the army of the Cebulus. In his advance, Trajan neglected no precautions in fortifying camps and sending forward scouts. But the enemy had retreated into the recesses of the country and left the road free. At length, when the Romans reached Tape, Tapia, on the Tibiscus, a place which commands the entrance to the Bistra Valley, they found the Dacians drawn up in a strong position between the river and wooded hills. This place had been the scene of Julian's great victory thirteen years before, and it proved auspicious again to the arms of Trajan. The Romans were assisted by a thunderstorm, which threw the ranks of the enemy into disorder. In this, the first battle, the infantry on both sides seemed to have been chiefly engaged. Though the legions conquered, the victory cost them dear. 
it is probable that one legion, the 21st Rapax, perished almost entirely in the battle. It is related that the emperor gave his own clothes for bandages to bind up the wounds of the injured. He built an altar to the manes of those who had fallen, and instituted a yearly sacrifice in their memory. Not far from Tape was the town of Tibiscum, which was taken and set on fire, and then the legions advanced up the Bistra valley. A deputation from the Sebelus, suing for peace, soon arrived. It consisted of three men on horses without saddles, followed by a number of men on foot, all of inferior rank, not belonging to the nobility, whom the Romans called Pileatai, or men of the cap. Trajan refused to listen to such envoys. The war, however, was soon suspended, owing to the approach of winter, when the invaders had only penetrated halfway up the Bistra valley. Trajan returned to winter in Pannonia, with the greater part of his army, but left all the fortresses he had occupied strongly garrisoned. In the following spring, 102 A.D., Trajan and his legions descended by boat to Viminacium, the emperor himself rowing or steering along with the men, and retraced the road which they had traversed the year before. They found all their posts safe. Two small encounters took place now, and resulted in Roman victories, which were followed by the submission of one of the Dacian tribes. Then Trajan continued his advance on the capital. The way was difficult. The soldiers had to hew their way through forests with the axe, and they were constantly hindered by ditches and precipices. The defense of the Dacians now became more active as the enemy was approaching the heart of their country. Their belief in immortality aided their bravery and made them unsparing of their lives. They were now assisted by reinforcements of Sarmatian-mounted archers, whose steeds, as well as the riders, are represented on Trajan's column as clad completely in mail. The fury of the struggle may be measured by the horrible tortures which the Dacian women inflicted on Roman prisoners by burning parts of their bodies with lighted brands. At length, the last fortress, defending the approach to Sarmis Egethusa, fell before the attack of Trajan, while his general, Liberius Maximus, at the same time captured the sister of the Sebelus in another town. Some high mountain fastnesses were also taken, and the Roman eagle was recovered, which had been lost by the mission's general, Cornelius Fuscus. After these successes, the Sebelus once more sued for peace, but this time his messengers were Pileati. Their supplication was humbler, they bent the knee to Trajan, and implored pardon. They asked him to consent to meet their king, professing that he was ready to submit to any conditions, and if he would not agree to this, at least to send deputies to the Sebelus. Licinius Sura, Trajan's friend, and Lavianus, the prefect, were sent, but the negotiations came to nothing, and the struggle was resumed. A tract of forest still separated the Romans from the Dacian capital. The Mauritanian cavalry, with Lysias Quietus at their head, attacked several detachments of the enemy and drove them into the recesses of the woods where they barricaded themselves by trees and their position had to be stormed like a regular fortress the way was thus prepared for the main body of the roman army 
and on emerging on the other side of the forest, they found themselves in front of Sarmizegethusa. The Dacians did not wait to endure the slow course of a siege. They came forth to fight and were conquered. Then, in order to save his capital from destruction, Decebalus submitted to whatever terms the victor deemed fitting to impose, and came himself, along with two of his chief officers, into the presence of the Roman emperor, to implore mercy. He was required to surrender all his military engines, all Roman deserters, and the workmen who had been placed at his disposal by Domitian. He undertook either to destroy or to hand over to the conquerors all his fortresses. Dacia became a dependent state, and the king was bound neither to make war nor to conclude peace without the consent of Rome. Having left garrisons in some of the Dacian fortresses, and especially in Sarmizegethusa itself, Trajan returned to Rome, accompanied by Dacian deputies, who went through the form of submitting themselves to the Senate, and the peace was not regarded as finally concluded until the Senate ratified the terms which the emperor had imposed. Trajan had been proclaimed imperator three times during this war, once in the first campaign after the Battle of Tape, and twice in the second campaign. The Senate decreed him the title of Dacicus, and he was designated consul for the following year. Out of the large booty, a congiarium was distributed to the people. Section 4. Second Dacian War, 105-106 AD. It soon became evident that Decebalus did not intend to carry out the terms which his conqueror had imposed upon him. He had accepted them in order to gain a respite and make preparations for another struggle for the liberty of Dacia. But in attempting to shake off the lesser yoke of federation, he was destined only to bring upon his country the heavier yoke of direct subjection to Rome. When the emperor learned that his vassal was playing false, was receiving deserters, building and renovating fortresses, collecting the instruments of warfare, and carrying on suspicious negotiations with the neighboring tribes, he determined to overthrow the Sabellus altogether and convert Dacia into a Roman province. In taking this resolve, he departed from the recognized policy of the Roman government to abstain from extending the borders of the empire. He transgressed the precept of Augustus, as Claudius had already done in the case of Britain. He has been accused of unwisdom in taking this step, of sacrificing the interests of the empire to the ambition of military conquest. But we do not know the full circumstances of the case, and it would be rash to say that the continuance of the dependent Dacian kingdom would have been less dangerous to the empire than the creation of the Dacian province. If merely military ambition prompted Trajan in the second war, why did it not prompt him to the same policy in the first? In 104 AD, the Sabellus was decreed by the Senate to be an enemy of the Roman people, and Trajan set out for Mysia to superintend the preparations for invading Dacia in the following year. He chose a different route from that which he had followed in the former war. Instead of starting from Viminacium, he started from Egeta, at which place he caused a permanent stone bridge to be built across the Danube. The architect, 
was Apollodorus of Damascus, and bricks used in the construction of the pillars have been found, which show that soldiers of the 13th legion were employed in the work. The construction of this solid bridge, a wonderful work of engineering, was a sign of Trajan's resolve to make Dacia a province of the empire. For the second war, more troops were mustered than for the first. To the eight Illyric legions, four were added from the two German provinces. The Sabalus on his side had also made great preparations, especially in building fortresses, which seemed to have played a greater part in the second than in the first war. But perhaps he did not fully believe in his own powers, ultimately, to resist the invader, for we find him, while Trajan was still in Mysia, suborning two deserters to take the life of the emperor by poison. One of the traitors was arrested on suspicion, and revealed under torture the name of his accomplice. This episode casts a slur on the career of the Dacian hero. From Drobete, Trajan might follow either of two routes to reach the Dacian capital. The shortest was by the pass of Vulcan, but shortness was not Trajan's aim, otherwise he would have gone as before by Viminasium and the Bistra Valley. His object seems to have been to cut off the retreat of the enemy towards the eastern parts of Dacia, and therefore he took the other route by the Red Tower. Marching eastward from Drobete, he reached the river Alutus at Pons Alutai, but, without crossing the river, moved up the valley on the right bank. During his march, several Dacian and Josigic tribes sent messages of submission. Of the details of the march, of the points at which the Dacians offered resistance, of the length of time which elapsed before Sarmizegethusa was reached, we know nothing certain. The pass of the Red Tower was, doubtless, staunchly defended. One instance of noble self-sacrifice has been preserved. A valuable officer of Trajan, Cassius Longinus, a camp prefect, had somehow been enticed into the power of the Sebelus, who kept him a prisoner, and sent a message to Trajan that he would not release his captive unless Dacia were evacuated and the expenses of the war paid. The emperor, unwilling to seal the doom of Longinus, did not flatly refuse, but the prisoner freed his imperator from the dilemma by swallowing poison. The movements of the Romans were slow, but sure. At length, probably in 106 AD, they approached the capital of the Sabellus from the eastern side and laid siege to it. A battle was fought, in which the Dacians were worsted, and then the Sabellus caused his followers to set fire to their city. A number of Dacian nobles, thinking further resistance useless and not wishing to fall alive into the hands of the victor, assembled for a last banquet and drank a poisoned cup. Most of the common people submitted to the Romans. The Sabellus himself, with a few devoted followers, fled, but was followed by Roman troops, and after a combat, dispatched himself with his sword. His head was brought to Trajan, and sent to Rome. His followers resisted to the last, and were not taken until the Romans set fire to the fortress in which they had shut themselves up. Trajan was saluted Imperator for the sixth time. Having arranged the organization of the new province, 
Trajan returned to Rome, end of 107 A.D., and celebrated his triumph by a feast which lasted 123 days. 10,000 gladiators fought in the spectacles. The people received a congiarium, and the emperor, as one who had extended the boundaries of Roman territory, extended also the pomerium of the city. The great memorial of these Dacian wars is the column of Trajan, erected by the senate in the new Forum Traiani, where it stands to this day. This column, one hundred feet high, is decorated by sculptures in low relief of scenes from both the wars. It is a picture-book of the Dacian campaigns, but, unluckily, to most of the pictures we have no text. The Caesar who conquered Dacia, like the Caesar who conquered Gaul, wrote an account of his conquest, but the commentaries of Trajan have not survived, and this is, perhaps, one of the greatest losses that history has to deplore. Nor have we, in its place, any other full account of the wars, nothing but a late and meagre epitome. In these circumstances, the pillar of Trajan is of the greatest value. It is possible, from the vivid illustrations whose meaning is generally clear, to supplement in many important particulars the one very deficient written record which we possess. Just as the Bayeux tapestry helps the historian to understand the story of the Norman conquest of England, so the pillar of Trajan helps him to follow the Roman conquest of Dacia. It does not indeed throw light on the chronology and geography of the campaigns, as to which we are almost hopelessly in the dark, and it does not give a complete view of the war, for only those episodes are represented in which Trajan himself took part. Its value, perhaps, is ethnographical rather than strictly historical. It teaches us what the bearded Dacians were like, with their long hair, loose drawers, and long-sleeved jerkins. We see them fighting under their dragons, the Dacian standard. We see the Sarmatian archers on horseback, clad in complete mail. The various events of the march, as well as battle scenes and sieges, pass before us. We see the Roman soldiers following their standard-bearer across the bridge of boats at Viminacium, and the river god, the Danube, rising from his bed to behold them. Then we see the emperor performing sacrifices in front of the camp, the cutting down of trees, the construction of camps, the making of bridges, the emperor addressing the troops, are all represented. We see Dacian spies dragged by the hair into Trajan's presence, soldiers displaying to the emperor the bloody heads of enemies they have slain, the Dacians carrying their wounded into a wood. A village built on stakes in a lake is set on fire, the women and children implore mercy. The houses of the barbarians are round with pointed roofs. Here is portrayed the distribution of distinctions to brave soldiers. There, the tortures which Dacian women inflict on Roman captives. In the sculptures of the Second War, we have a view of the capital city of the Cebulus, his palace, and probably the temple of Zalmoxis. We see the Dacian chiefs sitting in a circle and emptying the bowl of poison in front of the burning town. Then we see the head of the Cebulus presented to Trajan on a dish. The sculptures are ranged in a spiral band round the column, 
which supported a colossal statue of the imperator. End of sections 3 and 4